Let's come before the Lord and pray. Father God, we, we come before you and, and we realize, Lord, that when we get into your word, Lord, we're, we're not just hearing mere human words, but we're hearing the words of the living God that you have inspired, that you have breathed out through your spirit, inspiring your apostles, inspiring the writers of scripture to say exactly what you wanted to convey. And Lord, we just thank you that, that the word of God is truth. It's life-giving, soul-sustaining, spirit-filled truth. And Lord, we desperately need a word from your word. We live in a world where we're just bombarded with so many messages telling us what is true, telling us what to feel about ourselves, what to think about what life is all about. And Lord, ultimately, there is one message that is bedrock truth that we can build our life on, and it's your word. It's your holy word. And so we pray, Father, that you would bless this time. I pray that that as we gather, that the Spirit would come upon us right now, Lord, as we're hearing your word, as we're getting into Philippians, Lord, may, may Paul's word to them speak to us powerfully and effectually. May our hearts be open to receive the things that you want to say to us. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to step out of the way and that your Spirit would bless the word as it goes out. And Lord, that, that you would, would cause it to be like arrows of truth that are like individualized sermons for every heart in this room. That the Spirit would say what we need to hear. And we just pray, God, that you would be glorified. That Jesus would be made much of. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think it's about nine years ago now... Um, my wife was pregnant with Isaiah, and it's, it's one thing to actually think you know what it means to have a baby and what it's going to be like to raise kids and, and all of that stuff. So we're like reading what to expect when expecting, and we got the sonogram, and, and we've got, you know, we've got like encyclopedic books on all these different things, and... You know, it's kind of like reading a book about the Grand Canyon. It ain't the same thing until you actually are standing before the Grand Canyon. And I quickly realized that all of the book learning was great. It was helpful to get at like what it was going to mean to be a parent. But there's something different that goes beyond the theoretical when you actually experience holding your child in, in, in your hands for the first time. When you hear that baby crying, when you realize, like, this is my baby, this is my baby, and I'm holding him, you know, and it's, it, it goes from just, like, theory to practice, it goes from, from knowledge up here to a, a real lived experience, a personal depth, and what I want us to think about today is knowing Jesus is the same way, you can know a lot of things about Jesus up here. You can know a lot of facts about Jesus, but knowing Jesus experientially, knowing Jesus personally, knowing Jesus truly in the core of your soul because you have a relationship is a whole different thing. 
And Jesus, as we read in John chapter 17 and verse 3, He says, this is eternal life. That they may come to know You. He's talking about His Father in heaven. The one true God. And Jesus Christ whom You sent. So Jesus actually says that eternal life is about knowing Christ and knowing the Father. It's about moving from just getting this, this book and getting the facts down about who Jesus is to getting it into your heart and getting, getting something going on in your soul where you come in touch with Jesus really and truly. And um, this past week, I uh, got a chance to get out in our community and, and Henry County, sharing the gospel with every home. And I was, I was struck by the fact that almost every home I went to, somebody was saying, we're Christians and we may even attend church. And I was like, man, it's it seems like everybody in Henry County saved, you know? So like, like if I was just looking at the county, we're doing pretty good. But of course, I was led kind of by the Spirit to ask some follow-up questions, you know? And I, I, the thing I ask always is, how did you come to know Jesus? And you'd be surprised that when you ask that question, most people don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? How did I come to know Jesus? And immediately they begin to kind of think about that. And it's like, well, I was baptized back when I was, you know, 19. Or, well, I, I don't know. I just, I'm, I, was a, I, I was in a Christian family. And, and it starts to like really become clear that when you talk about a relationship with Jesus, it's very foreign. But you have a lot of professing believers who are so confused on what it means to be a child of God. And Jesus taught, and Paul teaches in Philippians 3, that what it actually means to be a Christian is to know Jesus personally, deep in your soul. To know Him truly. To be in touch with the Savior who came dying on a cross and rising up out of the grave. And when you think about that, you've got to marvel I marvel that I'm standing here talking about Jesus today because I once hated him. I once hated everything he stood for. I once hated Christians. And ultimately, something changed. And it wasn't just because I learned more facts about Jesus. People have been telling me about Jesus my whole life. But one day I heard the gospel and I encountered Christ as the word was preached. And my soul was struck. And I knew I was guilty before God. And that night, I didn't have to be walked through like this big exercise. It was like the Spirit of God got a hold of my heart. That night, I repented, confessed my sins to God, and asked Him to save me. And it was like a hundred gallons of liquid love just poured over me. And I knew it was real. I knew it went beyond. I was like, this Jesus thing is real. Like, Jesus is real. And Paul wants us to get at that reality too. And we're, we're drinking from Philippians chapter 3, um, verses 1 through 11. We've been doing it for a couple weeks. And this week, I just want us to really camp out 
on this idea of becoming a Christian is knowing Jesus. And knowing Jesus should affect everything in your life. Because if you have a relationship with the Good Shepherd, you better believe that makes a difference when you experience suffering. When you're in the hospital and you're getting tests run on you and you don't know what's wrong with you. Oh, it's going to make a big difference if you have a friend in Jesus and if that relationship is real. Or when you're struggling with the ugliness in your own heart and it's bubbling up to the surface, it's going to matter a great deal to you if you actually are in touch with Jesus because Jesus is the one who can make you clean. Jesus is the one who died for your sins so that you could be cleansed and you could experience a righteousness that when you stand before God, He looks at you and He sees you in Jesus. And so it's not like, oh, I only feel good about myself if I'm doing good. It's like, no, I'm in Christ. And God's smile is continually on me. And His fatherly discipline goes after me when I sin. And He teaches me. And he dis What father doesn't discipline a child he loves? And that's what happens to a believer. If you're an unbeliever, you don't have the smile of God on you. You have the wrath of God on you. And you don't have the smile of God's fatherly care in that way. But you're experiencing the consequences of sin. And the wages of sin is death. And so there's these distinctions that Paul is wanting us to get at. Like, knowing Jesus makes all the difference. The reason there's so much depravity and evil and wickedness and suffering and disruption and, and, and distortion and fractured families in America and around the world, the reason there's human trafficking, the reason there's dr a drug and alcohol problem, the reason there's mass depression across the land is because there is a void of the knowledge of God in Christ. It's because we don't have a sense of who Jesus is. And when Jesus comes in, he changes everything. So look again at Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to just see this powerfully in verses 7 and following. We'll just start there. Paul's just talked about how he, he's not putting any confidence in the flesh anymore and what he's done in his birth pedigree, in his zeal for thinking he was serving God and doing stuff all on his own. And then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Did you see it? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain, what? Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that 
is from God that depends on faith. And then here's kind of the, the text that's just been my meditation for the past week. This is all so that I may know him. Paul's after knowing Jesus better, knowing Jesus more fully, knowing Jesus that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That's what Paul is after. He is wanting to grab a hold of your hearts. The Holy Spirit is wanting to grab a hold of your hearts and say, I want you to know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I want you to know that treasuring Jesus supremely above everything else is what life is all about. You were made to know God. You were made to come to know God. And much of the despair and discouragement and frustration in our souls comes when we have fallen short of the glory of God and we've spurned the, the revelation of God in creation and we've not given Him thanks and we're living on our own and we're not tasting and seeing the Lord is good. And this is like all through Paul's thinking. Everywhere he has written, he's talked about this idea of knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus more sweetly. And Jesus even tells parables about what it means to enter the kingdom of God. It's like a man who discovered a treasure in a field. And he went and he saw the treasure and he sold everything he had so he could buy that field and get the treasure. It's like whatever I've got to do to get to Jesus. Because he's life. Because he's a treasure. Because he's our ever-present help in a time of need. Because he's the rescue your soul deeply longs for. And knowing Jesus, back to the whole idea of, of this idea of book learning, which you've got to have facts about Jesus. You've got to know he's Lord. You've got to know he's the king over all the earth. You've got to know he went to a cross. You've got to know he's God's son. You've got to know he's the sovereign Lord of the universe. And he holds every atom in existence. And you've got to know that he didn't just stay dead. That when he died on a cross, he actually bore the wrath of God for anybody who believes. And he was not swallowed up by death, but he swallowed up death in victory. So you've got to know some things about Jesus. But it is a whole nother thing to begin to trust in Jesus with your whole life, to treasure Him above all else, to see Him as supremely valuable, to see Him as better than anything you could ever imagine, and Jesus changes your life. And boom, you come into a relationship with Christ. And Paul is unfolding that, and he's going to tell us that knowing Jesus is about experiencing the power of the resurrection in you. It's not enough to know that Jesus can save, 
But you got to know that Jesus can save you and that that power can come into your life through faith in him. And it's about knowing Jesus in the midst of suffering because they persecuted him and they're going to persecute his followers. And the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross would one day wipe out all suffering. And that day's coming. And if anybody wants a taste of that, if everybody, anybody's longing like in your, in your bones when you feel like my body is just broken and I'm longing for the day that I get a new one, that reality is coming in Christ from knowing Jesus. And then lastly, we're going to see in this very passage, verse 10, knowing Jesus means glory's coming. Knowing Jesus means God's going to renew you. You're going to get raised up to newness of life. So far cry from being a small question, when you are asking yourself, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? Do I really know this Jesus? The answer to that question is, do you know him? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught, many are going to say to him, Lord, Lord, look at all we did. And they're going to think they're entering the kingdom. And Jesus is not going to say, no, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And he's not going to argue with them about the works. What he says to them startlingly is, I never knew you on the last day. I find that interesting. But then when we read the Gospels, it makes perfect sense. Because Jesus died on a cross and rose up out of the grave so that you might come to know him by faith and know just what it means to have a friend in Jesus and know just what it means to experience him as the surpassing worth of all other things. Famous uh, tennis player, Boris Becker, was not a believer. He won Wimbledon and he won many titles. Um, tennis champion, like in the 80s. Um, and he struggled with being at the top and struggled with suicide. And he said to the newspaper, basically, you know, when I got to the top, there was nothing there. Like I had, I, I've become the champion and I couldn't help but think, I don't want to live anymore. Because just when he thought life brought the ultimate and that he was going to ascend and sort of like he's on the top, the best in the game. I mean, surely, according to worldly standards, you, it doesn't get better. And it was totally empty because Boris did not know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. It makes all the difference. So first thing, real quick, knowing Jesus means knowing the resurrection power of God at work in you. Look at verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
that I may know him. Paul wants us to know him, and then what does that look like? It's the power of the resurrection at work in you. you got to have power come into your life to change you. You're not going to become a different person or grow in the ways that, that reflect and become more like Jesus. Part of Christianity is about being conformed to the image of Christ. And you can't do that without power. You've got to be brought from de death to life. The Bible says we're dead in our sins. So unless resurrection power comes up in your heart, you'll stay dead. But when it does, you become alive. And Paul talks like this all through his letters. He's like, uh, Romans 6, listen to this. He says, we were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So you want to know like how to walk and live for Jesus? You have to have resurrection power in your life. And that's the prince of life coming out of the grave by the power of the Father and getting that life into your heart. That changes you. I would be dead or in jail somewhere if Jesus didn't break into my life in power. Because I was destroying my life. And I thought I was, you know, trying to be successful. I thought I was doing something good. And I was making a mess of things. You have to have power in your life if there's going to be any change for godliness. And Paul knew it. Paul knew because he was a, a professional faker. He was a professional religious faker and he knew how to like kind of schmooze and he was very smart and he knew the Bible, but he didn't have something inside him changing him. He didn't have something inside him changing the internal realities. And oh, when your heart gets made whole by Jesus, when you experience forgiveness, when you realize that you've been justified, verse 9 says, right? And the, the righteousness that's from God comes into your life and you know, like, I don't have to bite my nails at night wondering if I breathe my last breath, is that going to be it? And I go before God and he's guilty. He says, guilty. No, I'm covered by the blood of Jesus and I've been given his righteousness. And if any of us want to experience those realities afresh, you got to meditate on what it means to know Jesus and his resurrection power that took you out of darkness and transplanted you into the light. And that can change you and grow you and make you more like Christ. That's what Christianity is all about. How can a blind person see unless he's given sight? And all of us were once blind. All of us had that story of the blind man, Bartimaeus, right? I don't know, but I, you know, all I can say is I was blind and now I see. And you know what? I like seeing. I like seeing because God's come into my life. Resurrection powers open my eyes. And you see the world differently as a Christian. So when somebody asks you, like, how did you come to know Jesus? Because he opened my eyes. Because his life-giving spirit opened my eyes to the truth. And I believe in Jesus. And it's his work that saved me. It's his death on a cross that saved me. It's his resurrection out of the grave that saved me.
That's so far from pointing to a ritual we did or an upbringing. It's pointing to the power of God impacting your life. You know, not everybody got knocked off their horse on the road to Damascus. But Paul did. And you better believe he never forgot. And maybe you're in here today and this is a bit foreign and it's like, I don't know what you're talking about, this power business. You know, like, I, I, like, I don't get it. And the Spirit of the Lord, when He comes into your heart, He bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And that resurrection power is the Spirit of God coming into your life and making you a new person as you believe in Jesus. So Paul is using this language to say, you've got to come from death to life. And all through the Scriptures, that's exactly what we see. So, we got to ask ourselves the question, is there any power in my life? And if there's not, pray that the Spirit of God would fill you, move into your life, Look to Jesus, because Paul's all about pointing to Jesus and looking to Jesus and treasuring Jesus. And when I say treasure, I mean like when you see Jesus as actually better than anything else in your life, when you see him as sweeter than honey, when you see him as more valuable than anything else that you have, and you lay hold of him in that way, it changes you to the core and you begin to live the way God intended you to live. You begin to see a new way. It's the power of the Spirit at work in us. And Ephesians bears witness to this reality when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, there it is, right? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Or in chapter 1, he says, listen, listen, this is how he prays for the church. That the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Christ, right? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what the hope to which you have been called is, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul says all over the place that you want to know what's at work in you, Christian. You want to know what's at work in you to produce godliness. What's at work in you to produce insurance. What's at work in you to produce hope. The power of the resurrection. That same power that raised Jesus out of the grave. That same power that, that Jesus spoke to Lazarus when he was stinking in a tomb four days and he says, Lazarus, Come forth. And he comes up out of the grave. That's at work in you. 
if you are a Christian. I just marvel at that because I know there's no getting saved apart from it. And it's beautiful. And it's meant to encourage you to live godly. So he says in Romans 6.11, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin. You want to know what happened on the cross? You died with Christ. If you believe, you've died to sin so that you may live for Christ. That death and resurrection, now you begin living a different way. Is it any wonder that you don't really see the change until you've encountered the power of God in Christ? But it's not just power to live the Christian life. It's power to endure suffering. And that's what Paul says next. If you look at verse 10 again, knowing Christ means that you have a share in his sufferings. So verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So knowing Jesus means that we're going to suffer. So it's not if, but it's when. And part of pastoral ministry and part of a good pastor's job is to like get us ready for suffering. Because we don't want to be like getting our theology of suffering at the operating table. We don't want to be like getting our theology of suffering like worked out when we're already in crisis, we want to be thinking about this now so that we remember, hey, being a Christian means I know Jesus and I can head into suffering knowing that Jesus suffered, knowing that he went to a cross, knowing that he knows he's an ever-present help in a time of need. And you know what? No matter what you're going through, he's going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. What did David say so long ago? He said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When suffering hits your life, when that's your banner, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That is a sweet hope to hold on to. And when you realize that you're not all alone, that he hasn't left you, that he's right there, that he's leading you through it, that he's leading you through to the other side, that his promises are breaking over your head. And you know, every Christian experiences suffering. My favorite preacher, Charles Spurgeon, was a man of exquisite suffering and went through many discouraging things. And he was a preacher in Victorian England. And they didn't have the kind of medicine we had. He suffered from something called gout, which was like he described as like a cobra biting you and venom going all through your body and you're just in pain all the time. His wife, having tw uh, their twins, had a problem with the pregnancy and the doctor who went to try to fix it actually did something that hurt her worse and she was paralyzed for the rest of her life. She was bedridden. And then he had all sorts of, of accusations and he was maligned in the newspapers because he was a famous preacher. And of course, the world is going to go after that, right? So he was just a man who knew what it meant to suffer. And he knew that without Jesus as his good shepherd, without knowing that when he partakes in the sufferings of Jesus, that Jesus is going to be with him. 
like he would have no hope. And he once famously said, you know, when you can't trace the Father's hand in your suffering, when you just can't like follow it, like where's this going, Lord? When you can't trace his hand, you can surely trust his heart. And some of you need that word today. When you can't understand it, you can trust the Father's heart in it. I don't know why this is happening to me, Lord. I don't deserve it. No, you can trust His hand in it. And you can trust that He's working it for good. You can trust that there's a, a, a glorious purpose to it and that He's with you in the valley. And, 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 and listen to Paul. He just gets so like practical in, in another letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction too, with the same comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, because that's what it means to suffer. You're, you're suffering just like your Savior suffers. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. So are you tracking with me on this? This is like, this is God ordaining some of the suffering that comes into your life. Actually, all the things that you go through that are hard and difficult, God is working it for his purposes and he's comforting you with a specialized comfort of grace in that that only you receive in the moment of trial and you know what you do with that you turn around and help others who go through the same thing you become a minister of grace you partake in the suffering and then you give the same comfort you were given by God to others that's something the world doesn't have that's something that you can only get by knowing Jesus and that is powerful. That's something you hold on to in the hospital room. That's something you hold on to at the graveside. That's something you hold on to when you get the diagnosis you don't want to hear. When you can't trace his hand, you can surely trust his heart. And his heart is laid out all over the scriptures. He's the God of all comfort. Are you there right now? Struggling with suffering? Feeling like, I don't know where he is in all this. And surely he's calling you to trust his heart in that very moment. To trust his shepherd's hand. To trust his care over your life and his provision even in the darkness. In Philippians chapter 1, if you just want to look over real quick, verse 29 says the same thing. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted not only that you believe, but that you suffer for his sake because he's got glorious gospel ends for your struggles and suffering. It's not wasted. It's not out of his control. And he's with you. And it's, it, you know what it's doing? It's conforming you to the image of Jesus, which you see in verse 10, right there at the end. It says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings and what? 
becoming like him in his death. You become like Jesus when you suffer. You become conformed to his image. That's what sanctification is all about. You're, you're, you're growing in Christ-likeness. You're showing up and, and showing Jesus to people in how you live. You're showing the difference. That's the, the power of a godly witness is what fuels evangelism in the church. And they're going to see how does the Christian suffer that makes it different? Well, it conforms us to the image of Jesus and we begin to display that light in the world. And Paul said stuff like this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. His whole heart is just cruciform. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when you want to know like Paul's heart, he's like, I've been crucified with Christ. All my sins been nailed on the cross. I was crucified there. I died the death to sin. And you know what? The life I'm now living, I'm living by faith in the Son of God. And he can even talk like, it's not me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Oh, sounds a little bit like resurrection power going on in your life. But the more closer you get to Jesus, the more closer you get to love the cross of Christ, to know the suffering servant who died for you, who bore your sins, who bore the scorn, who bore the suffering, who bore the accusations. You want to get through like that accusing uh, relative or that that difficult relative who's always, you know, in your face, always making you feel low. You want to know how to negotiate that? You got a savior who was accused and he didn't say a word. And he was innocent. There was not one shred of truth. You've got help in Christ. When your life is crucified with him and you're living for him and it's not you living anymore, but it's Christ living through you. That's something glorious. And you begin to talk like Milton Vincent, a pastor who wrote something called the gospel primer. And this is just meditations on the gospel and how it changes your life. Listen to how he talks about this passage. He says, when my flesh yearns for some prohibited thing, I must die. When called to do something I don't want to do, I must die. When I wish to be selfish and serve no one, I must die. When shattered by the hardships that I despise, I must die. When wanting to cling to wrongs done against me, I must die. When enticed by allurements of the world, I must die. When wishing to keep besetting sins a secret, I must die. And when wants that are borderline needs are left unmet, I must die. And when the dreams that seem so good are shoved aside, I must die. That's what it means to take up the cross and follow Jesus. You live so differently, and it shows why we need the resurrection power. It shows why we need the Spirit of God in our life. It shows why we need Jesus in this intimate, deeply personal relationship to get us through the storms and the glorious joys of life because everything we have 
is from the hand of the Lord. Everything good in your life right now is because God graciously granted it. And the crucified life knows that what it means to follow Jesus is a life of self-denial, taking up your cross and following him. And lastly, we got to know that knowing Jesus actually means glory is coming. You might be so sick of living in this world, just feeling so much discouragement, seeing so much darkness. Maybe the, the America you once knew is just so far gone that you don't even recognize it anymore. And you're prone to despair. But you need to know your city is not made with hands, right? We, our city's not here. Our city is a new city whose builder and maker is God. Like God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And his people are going to dwell in a place where there is no more sin. There is no more suffering. And you're going to attain a resurrection in a totally recreated universe that only people who have glorified bodies can even envision or see or live in. And no more cancer, no more suffering, no more death. That's all been wiped away. And Paul can say in verse 11, listen, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When I know Jesus, I know resurrection's coming. I know glory's coming. And he talks like that in Romans 8, which is one of my favorite chapters. It's just go read Romans 8 if you're feeling blue today and you need to kind of have that, hey, glory is coming. Word impressed on your soul. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time, Paul says, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits and eagerly is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For all creation was subjected to futility because of sin, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That what? That the creation itself would be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation's been groaning. It's like groanings of a, of a pregnant woman. The creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly and we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies. What is Paul talking about? Paul's talking about the universe on its tippy toes, waiting for the day when the people of God get raised up to glory. And the whole universe and every blade of grass will stand glorified and renewed. And the people of God will know and will shine like the sun. And they will know Jesus as he is. They'll see him face to face. Death will be no more. Pain will be no more. Suffering will be wiped away. It's a glorious reality that glory is coming. And you know what? That groaning is just going to go away. Your groaning inwardly will give way to glory someday. And it comes for those who know him. It's such a profound thing to know that Jesus swallowed up death in victory. The prince of life died and then he rose up out of the grave. 
And if Jesus raised, you better believe there's glory coming from the people of God. You're tempted to think, is this it? Is this it for me? Is this as good as it gets? The best is yet to come. Far cry from the name it, claim it. Preachers are like, your best life. Now, no, the best life is yet to come. But it's sweet knowing Jesus now. Don't get me wrong. But glory's coming. And you know, like, I, I don't want to stay in an unglorified state where I'm dealing with sin and all of that. I want glory. To live is Christ, Paul said, what? And to die is gain. Paul knew where it was at. And he wants us to know Christ and to know the difference Jesus makes. So back to my question. How do we know that we're accepted by God? How do we know we're a Christian at all? How do we know somebody were to walk up to your door and knock on your door and say, how'd you come to know Jesus? Paul would say, because I've laid hold of Jesus as my treasure. I've put my trust in the crucified king. I've let go of all the stuff I thought was gain. I've admitted my sin before God. And I've put my trust in the righteousness of another. His name's Jesus. He's the righteous one. He's the suffering servant. He's the glorious son of God. He's the word made flesh. He's the prince of life. He's the good shepherd. He's the only hope for sinners who are lost to be rescued. And he wants to come into your life in a very personal, deep way. And it happens when you believe the gospel. There was a man named Joey Baran. They used to call him the California Kid. The California Kid was a surfer. And you know the California pastor is going to talk to you about surfing at one point or another. But this man was in the 80s the best surfer in California and he had Jesus stickers on his surfboard and he had all sorts of stuff he thought he was a Christian and he won the pipeline masters which is kind of like you know the world series of surfing and he talks about this 15 minutes of fame where he like goes in 15 minutes He's got to kind of share with the world like what it was like to win. And it starts raining, like pouring downpour rain. And everybody's just running for cover. And he's left standing at the podium. He just hit the top. And there's nobody there. And he's just kind of like discouraged. And he starts thinking, is this it? And he thinks he's a Christian. He's like, this is it? And within eight months, he had tried to commit suicide because he was living for something else and he didn't know Jesus personally. And then God sent another surfer who did know Jesus, said, Brian, when are you going to get some Jesus in your life? And he's like, oh, I don't know about you. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm going. And it, it turned out that this surfer who was a believer was really sick and uh, had cancer 
and he was evangelizing a week before he would go to be with the Lord. He was evangelizing Joey Baran. And Joey says, like, I've never forgotten that moment when God testified to me of the truth. And I realized this guy who's about to die is in touch with something so much more real than anything I've ever tasted. And within a few months, Joey would come to know Jesus, would do exactly what Paul said here. He would count everything else as loss. You know what? Being the California kid, number one surfer, having it all, even my Jesus stickers and all my religiosity, like all of that's done. I'm looking to him and he was totally renewed. He experienced resurrection power. He would walk through suffering and would lose one of his children in childbirth many years later would become a faithful pastor who's still preaching the gospel in Garden Grove today. A man who was at the top realized it was nothing and then went to his knees and received Jesus. And if that's you, if that's where you're at and you need that reality to break in, put your trust in him. Lay hold of him by faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your faithfulness and your grace and your goodness. And I thank you, Lord, that as we consider communion and as we continue to celebrate the glories of this life-saving, powerful gospel, Lord, may it be a sweet, beautiful thing to our souls to partake in a meal that means to picture our redemption that was won on a cross and triumphed out of the grave. We thank you, Lord. We pray, bless us with these truths that we would lay hold of, the sweetness of knowing Jesus. In your name, amen.